Hi everyone, welcome to the Footprint Futures podcast, where the founders of Footprint, Danny Scholz and myself, Sebastian Gear, interviewing leading entrepreneurs and sustainability innovators. In each episode, we want to learn from these inspiring change makers on why and how to accelerate the world towards a sustainable future. Today, we host Jessica Ferro, founder and director at 12. And through this podcast, we will learn how she helps companies navigate ecological issues, but also we will cover the lack of diversity in the climate impact consulting world. We will see how communities are engaging with sustainability in Bristol and how climate change is already affecting the lives of people all across the globe. Enjoy the podcast. All right, I'm here with Jessica Farrell, co-founder and director of 12. Thank you so much for taking your time. Thanks, Sebastian. It's great to be here. Yeah, really looking forward to learn from your insights. So uh, 12 is basically um, a consultancy that helps businesses to respond to a climate and ecological crisis uh, with you know, impactful strategies and see um, how uh, we can basically foster change. So really looking forward to learn more about that. I think what would be really great for the start um, Jessica, if you could give an introduction maybe about yourself, a little bit about your journey and how it all gets started for you. Sure. Um, yeah, happy to do that. So, yeah, so actually I um, I grew up in, um, my dad worked in the oil industry. So um, when I was young, I moved around quite a lot. I moved around the world and I, I started my life um, in London and then I lived in Scotland in the north of Scotland in Aberdeen because that's near where the North Sea is and then when I was 10 I moved to Jakarta Indonesia and I don't know if you've been to the Southeast Asia or to Jakarta but it's a pretty crazy place um, and I think going to Indonesia when I was 10 um, and living there for five years really opened my eyes to to what was happening in the world with um Yeah, living in the global south, you know, living in a place um, where there was a lot of life and vibrancy and um, color and and sensation, and it was just a real opening. But at the same time, there was a lot of poverty and there was also a lot of inequality. Um, and there were things, you know, beautiful nature and rainforests and all of these things. But then also those things were being exploited, um, and you drive past the kind of the pet market and you'd see exotic pets in cages and um I think at quite a young age I became quite aware of um environmental issues social issues mm -hmm. um and I think that really has lived with me through um my life um and when I went to university I studied law and French partly because I didn't really know what to do um <laughs> I was an all-rounder at school and I didn't really know how to um channel my interests so I decided to study a law degree. But then whilst I was at university, I got quite interested in environmental issues. Um, I learned about things like permaculture. I learned about um, all the kind of environmental initiatives that were going on um, and all of the ways in which all of the kind of different green careers that you could have. So wait, I, I, it really became an idea for me that I could have a career that I was helping to make the world a better place. So I decided not to go into law. I decided that I wanted to work in sustainability. Um, and so once I graduated university, I went to work on a farm. 
because I wanted to get close to the land. Um, and then and then I uh, moved to Bristol in the UK, which I had heard was a really green city with lots of green jobs and organisations. And I've lived there ever since, um, apart from a few periods of time going to a few different places, like I went to live in the US for a little bit. Um, but yeah, Bristol's my home now, my chosen home. And I, it's, I really love it here. It's a wonderful city, very vibrant. And it was the European Green Capital City in 2015. Um, and there's a lot of green initiatives and um, organizations here that are working on this, on these issues. So um, yeah, I started working in sustainability. I started working in renewable energy to begin with. And then I moved to um, kind of working with businesses in the low carbon sector and running lots of events in Bristol for, for, for businesses working in the green sector. So I, I got to know lots of people working in lots of different industries. And then I started thinking about what businesses needed to do to be sustainable. Um, and I helped to create a tool called Go Green that was used by lots of businesses during the green capital year, which was basically a massive list of um, things that a company could do to make itself more sustainable, whether it was um, start measuring its carbon footprint, source fair trade tea and organic milk for the for the workers, install bike racks so that people could cycle to work and showers and lockers so they could store their bike gear at work um, through to having sustainable sourcing policies and, you know, all kinds of the whole, asp the whole kind of range of things that businesses could do to be more sustainable. And so I started working with smaller businesses on that. And then over time, I've just started working with larger, more well-known businesses. And um, I set up um, a consultancy in, 20, in 2018. I met my co-founder, Ellie, and um, we founded 12. Um, and we really, the reason why it's called 12 is because um, we had, like a lot of people, at the end of that year, the, the IPCC report came out, which was the um, the report that said we have 12 years to avert climate chaos, climate catastrophe. Um, and that was in 2018. And so it's basically until 2030. And this was really the IPCC is the report that comes from scientists all around the world. These are renowned scientists and hundreds of scientists. And it was the first time that scientists had really raised the alarm in such an urgent way. And I think it really gave a lot of people working in the sustainability sector um, a bit of a kick and really made us question if we were doing enough. And and my answer to that was, I don't think that I was personally doing enough, um, given how much I knew about the issues and my co-founder Ellie felt the same. So that's why we wanted to found 12, because we really wanted to bring that urgency into the work that we do. And so, yeah, 12's mission is to help businesses respond to the climate and ecological crisis. And then in 2019, there was obviously that huge year of climate action. We had Greta, we had the school strikes, we had Extinction Rebellion, we had people protesting everywhere. Um, and climate really felt like it was becoming, and the ecological crisis as well, felt like they were really becoming major issues that people were taking action on. And then, of course, we had COVID. Um, which kind of changed people's priorities. But in lots of ways, I think it made people realise that, you know, these, these issues aren't going away. Um, so we had a, a very busy year during the COVID year because I think people were taking stock and realising they, they needed to be a better business in lots of ways. 
Um, so yeah, that's my kind of history. Um, and that's where we are today. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks for sharing Jessica. And I think let's dive deep into some of the things you have mentioned. So I think one thing is interesting. You, you, you move, you move to Bristol, uh, basically, um, you know, uh, because you, you wanted to be then, you saw a lot of positive initiatives there. Can you talk a little bit more about like what is happening in Bristol that you know, people should be aware of and uh, any kind of, uh, green initiatives that, you know, people should be, uh, know, know about. Sure. Well, I think when, when I was looking back in, this was kind of back in the day of like, 2010 you know when I was when I was thinking about moving here um it has a lot of green roots um as a city it's a very um it's a city of kind of unrest and activism um we've had kind of things like the the St Paul's or you know the the riots happened in the 80s um it's a history that's built on um unfortunate very unfortunate history of um slavery so a lot of Bristol's wealth was built on the enslavement of, of people from Africa um, because it's a port town. So it was um, a place where a lot of the boats would go in that triangle to, to Africa and the Caribbean. And, and um, it's also uh, got the tobacco um, industry. There's a big um, historical industry. There's still some tobacco companies that are based here in mm -hmm. Bristol. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it has a bit of a dark past and I think that's given it a, um, as well as a kind of multicultural um, population, um, it's given it a kind of bit of a strife, you know, in the past that it's had to overcome. And I think a lot of that's come through um, the creative industries, the arts, you know, Banksy is from Bristol, um, the famous street artist. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of kind of creativity and, and ideas that come here. Um, and I think in terms of sustainability, I think, a lot of the green organizations um are built were built here so um we have the the biggest cycling charities um and kind of sustainable travel charity sustrans are based here the soil association the organic certification body is, has its headquarters here triodos bank the um ethical bank that comes from um the netherlands has also got its headquarters here so there's a lot of kind of sustainable organizations based here but in terms of um, what's happened then since then, um, in 2015, we were the European Green Capital. So that's a, an award that's awarded to um, European cities for demonstrating action on sustainability. And part of the reason for that is, um, yeah, lots of grassroots initiatives that are happening that maybe don't always get seen. Um, but there's amazing, you know, there's lots of people with allotments here. There's city farms. There's wonderful community projects um, there's lots of green space. We're very close. We're very lucky to be close to green space, um, both in the city and outside. Um, it, but Bristol has its problems too. We have a terrible traffic problem. Um, we don't have very good public transportation. Um, and so, and it's also a very unequal city. So even though I said about the very multicultural population, it's quite a divided city and lots of people live in like various neighborhoods and sometimes it, there's not enough kind of, um uh yeah there's not maybe enough mixing between those neighborhoods um and so i think there's there's a there's lots of people experiencing bristol in lots of different ways um depending on your socioeconomic background so that's um a challenge but um there are some great organizations working on these challenges 
um, one of which I'm really proud to be a part of. I'm a director of the Bristol Green Capital Partnership, um, and that is a wonderful nonprofit organisation. Um, and it's a membership organisation that um, has over a thousand member organisations who have joined. And um, it's uh, it's seen to be the largest network of its type in the world. So I, I think there's very few cities or places that have um, more than a thousand members working on. Uh, they've signed a pledge to help Bristol become a more sustainable city with a high quality of life for all. So um, it's great to have this kind of um, network in Bristol um, and all these organisations working on the same thing. And the Bristol Green Capital Partnership has been working on some fantastic projects recently. They recently received lottery funding to do uh, two major projects. One is called the Black and Green Ambassadors Project, which is all about um, getting people from underrepresented ethnic minorities, um, Black and Asian um, minority groups to come and be leaders in the sustainability sector because sustainability is actually in the UK at least um, it's the most it's the least diverse profession in terms of so most people who work in sustainability are white middle class um, the only less the only profession that is less diverse than the sustainability profession is farming in the UK <laughs> Um, so that's a, that's a problem that we have. Um, there's only certain types of people um, who who have these kinds of jobs and have this kind of influence. So that's something that the Black and Green Ambassadors Project is really trying to change. It's getting young people from these um, Black and Asian um, groups to to come in and, and lead in this sector and, and and kind of be leaders in their community and get more people involved. So I really um, think it's. A fantastic um, initiative and so that's that's a really exciting thing that's going on and there's another project that British Green Council Partnership is doing which is um, called the Community Climate Action um, Project and that's all about um, working with communities within Bristol to help them create their own climate action plans for communities and some of them are geographic and some of them are more kind of social so there's the Bristol Disability Forum so um, that they did a lot of workshops with disabled people in Bristol and thought about how climate change was going to affect them and asked them what they wanted to see. Um, and together they came up with a climate um, climate roadmap for for their community. And I think that's absolutely amazing. And then some some kind of more uh, lower socioeconomic um, neighbourhoods, um, they worked uh, with them to create climate action projects, uh, sorry, climate action plans for their neighbourhoods. And so I think we've not seen before that kind of engagement with the different groups in the city and actually asking them, what do you think should happen with climate change? Everyone knows that we have to change things fast, but communities don't always want things to just happen to them. They don't want decisions to be made at like a high level um, that they're not involved with. And I think this is such a really good example of, of going into these communities and actually asking people what they want and asking them to be part of that decision-making process. Because that's how we're going to get change to happen. So, yeah, there's some really great things to be proud of. Uh, absolutely. And I think something you point out, which I think is great, is that you talk about initiatives that cons that look at 
uh, equality as one thing that you say but at the same time also bringing in local people you know what's happening very often is that change comes from the outside and you know there's you know an investment or like there is some kind of uh, top-down basically sort of initiative um, but it's very not often that you know the people that are actually living there the citizens actually taking part of that sort of innovation process if you would like to call it like that uh, or change process and I think um, I think you pointed out some some also some great products who try to um, sort of drive change more towards from the from the root and uh, look at the actual um, uh, cause and and how it could be you know done in the, in the best way. So this is great. Um, yeah, yeah, it's great, and it's just seeing you know it has to be bottom up as well as top down. You know, because like people have tried making decisions before where they say right, you know, climate change is happening, therefore. I don't know, if you say, okay, we all need to stop driving our cars because climate change, you know, some people are going to be like, oh, hang on, I need my car to go to work. How am I going to work? And if you just do that without any consultation or any involvement from the community, they're not going to understand why. Um, so, yeah, there has to be that ongoing involvement and people need to really understand the issues and take time to explain it in a way that they understand and get them involved and get them thinking about what the solutions could be. So I think, yeah, there's some really great examples of these initiatives happening. I hope can be replicated elsewhere. I think so. What, another thing is, of course, like interesting. You you talk with um, a lot of businesses around like sustainability within uh, their company. Could you outline a little bit what are sort of like common questions um, you get and sort of like biggest problems um, that you see uh, when it comes to sustainability in businesses? Sure. So yeah, that is obviously consultancy is what we do at Twelve. We work with businesses. Um, and usually what happens is a company will come will come to us and say, OK, we we know we need to take action on climate change and the ecological crisis, um, but we don't know where to start. We don't know what to do. Um, can you help us? So often, I mean, there's usually a lot of things that we need to we need to help them with. And sometimes they be really new to it and they haven't really got anything in place. Other times they're very pioneering and they've been doing lots of stuff for maybe 10, 15 years, but they don't really know how where to go next or they need a bit of structure to help them um stru yeah structure their their action going forward so if you're like a new if you're a new person a new organization to this and it's the first time you start to think about these issues um it could be that um they they might need their senior leadership team to get on board you might you might have a very enthusiastic person who's like the operations director or somebody in the marketing team who just knows this is really important But sometimes the leaders won't be brought in. Um, so sometimes there's some work to do to speak to those senior leaders, um, help them to understand the, the nature of the, the crisis we're facing and help them understand what their community thinks about that. So if they're, we work with a lot of consumer brands, that's really our, our niche. So we work with lots of companies that are making products that you might find in your kitchen or your, your, your home. Um, whether that's tea or pet food or soap or, um, you know, baby food, any of these things. So, so we help businesses that, that make these kinds of products. Um, and yeah, so, so sometimes these companies might know that they need to do something, but they don't really know what, which issues to focus on. So what we might do is, and what we often do and what we often recommend as a starting point is to do some stakeholder engagement And that's just a fancy word for basically talking, uh, like listening to people. Collecting insights. 
yeah, collecting insights from your communities. Mm. So um, with a consumer brand, we might run some surveys with their consumers, with their suppliers, maybe with their retailers, um, with their uh, employees, perhaps their investors, if they have some investors mm-hmm. um, and other, you know, other stakeholders, there might be other partners, like if they have charity partners or certification partners, we would do a kind of exercise where we would survey them. We might speak to some of them um, one-to-one. We might have interviews. We might do focus groups. And also we might often speak to sustainability experts in our network as well to get some more expert insights. And then we would gather those all into an insights report and we would play those insights back to those leaders to those leaders. And it might be, you know, we might ask all of those stakeholders, you know, what do you think this company should focus on? Should they focus on climate change? Should they focus on packaging? Should they focus on human rights or equality? Um, so anything, anything environmental and social. And it's really, really interesting when you start asking these questions to, to people um, and and getting those insights and and usually it's really powerful for those uh, leaders to see actually where the need is and where people where people want them to act so that's usually a a good piece of work that we can do Um, and then usually we'll take those insights then to develop a strategy with the with the company so we will co-create a strategy with that with the those leaders Um, and a strategy basically is is a, a plan for the next few years Sometimes it's 2025, sometimes it's 2030. And um, usually it will involve measuring carbon footprint because a lot of companies aren't doing that yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much a, a good place to start. You know, every company needs to start measuring its carbon footprint. And there's lots of different ways to do that. You can pay consultants. We, we don't personally do the, the number crunching, but we work with lots of partner consultancies that do that, that we refer our clients on to. You can work with a consultant who will who will do all that measurement for you. But also equally, there's some brilliant tools out there that can give you um, a really good idea of your carbon footprint by looking at your spend data. So you can plug it into your accounting software and it pulls through all of the spend. Um, so you can see what you're spending your money on and then it can do a carbon calculation from that. And that can be a very quick and easy way to get a, a kind of rough carbon footprint. So that can, and and that can be very low cost. So really, and then there's lots of kind of in between that, there's lots of different um, levels of of detail that you can get into. But yeah, usually people don't really um, have an idea about carbon and you can't really do anything until you start measuring it. So that's always a place we, we get people to start. But yeah, I mean, challenges can be that, you know, leaders might look at the cost of these things and think, oh, well, we can't do this. Um, but more often than not, the companies that we work with really get it and they really know they need to do something and they really know that investing now um, can mean saving later. So this is the way the world's going now. We really need to. It's 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 not going to be voluntary for much longer, I don't think. I think everyone's going to have to be te- be be working on these issues. Yeah. I think you touched on important aspects. I mean, like, you know, that you, I think specifically what you mentioned about, like the collective, basically collecting insights, you know, like where we often, one of the reasons why initiatives are not pushing through is that you don't have the right stakeholders on board, right? Or you're not bringing everyone along the journey, right? You want to have it co-authored by as many people as possible within a company, right? 
specifically the leadership uh, and the key decision makers, right? Uh, if it's something where you have one stakeholder or like basically an isolated sort of environment and tries to drive corporate change, that's usually not like, you know, not working out. And um, and this is like where things then falling through towards the end of a project. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think the thing is people sometimes come to us, they're like, well, you're sustainability experts. You're going to tell us what to do, right? Um, and we're like, well, you know, the thing is with sustainability is, um, and as I'm sure you know, Sebastian, working in this field, it's it's full of gray areas. You know, people love a black and white answer. Should I use plastic or paper? Should I use biodegradable or compostable packaging? Should we, you know, should we use fair trade or organic? Or, you know, you know, it's kind of the the question. We can't answer that question without knowing more about why <laughs> you know and that comes back to a company's purpose and and what their priorities are and we can help them work through them but often there isn't an answer you know people say you know what's better um this or that and it's kind of like well the answer is always that depends um so what we help them do is to work through those issues and help them make informed decisions with the more information so um so, yeah, I think sometimes that can be uncomfortable for people who are looking for that clear cut answer. But actually what we're trying to get them to do is think in a way that, we, you know, there's this whole move to move away from single use plastic um, in packaging. Um, and that's, you know, in many ways a good thing. But what we're seeing is companies moving to equally unsustainable, if not worse, alternatives. Um it's just creating a different problem, you know? So yeah, we don't have single use plastic, but we have a load of compostable packaging, which actually doesn't have a place to go at the end of its life either. So, um, so that's the kind of thing that we help businesses to, to navigate and to understand. And I think um, really that's where I think it, it because it's a different mindset that we're trying to cultivate and usually getting those insights from that, wider community can really help to focus um what's important no absolutely and this is so interesting what you mentioned that you know you can also take the wrong decisions right you can implement the wrong changes right and you just create another problem right exactly i think a lot of businesses have done that you know they've said oh we've we've got rid of this um packaging or we've gone we've we've stopped using palm oil or we've um stopped using whatever it is uh, and actually that's fine but you've just got to understand that and sometimes that's the right decision um but it it might just be creating another problem elsewhere mm-hmm. um and you know sometimes switching to a to a, a away from single use plastic might increase your carbon footprint um because you know plastic's really lightweight and if you're transporting a lot of um products um you know plastic Flexible plastic pouches, for example, are very, very lightweight. If you switch to glass jars, that's going to be a lot heavier and that's going to be really push your carbon footprint up massively. So you have to understand what's important to the stakeholders, people, um, and and also in your community and, and the people who are using your products. But also you have to understand the issues in more depth. So that's what we try and help our clients to do. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing you say is so interesting that, you know, it's full of gray areas and this is so true, right? 
like it's sometimes very difficult like to do like simple black and white answers right and uh, the problems are very complex so um yeah i think this is so interesting i mean the other thing is like now you talked about like setting up a roadmap right or like collecting insights right then uh, understanding like what are the best decisions to make like working with companies uh, around like embedding the right strategy what's next what's next afterwards like there, there is of course like the implementation phase and what kind of problems you're seeing there and then like how do you then take this into something that is sort of like a, um, a, like how do you communicate it and afterwards yeah so yeah so once we've got a lovely plan in place um with ambitious targets um then yeah it's about the company implementing that and sometimes we get involved in that and sometimes we don't sometimes you know our involvement um ends because they just needed that support that facilitation to, to to get a plan together and then they have teams internally that can make that happen and then other times we do, we do get involved in some of the implementation um and i think this is where we're really reaching a really interesting time in this kind of time of climate action you know we've known about um the climate and ecological crisis for a long time or like scientists have known about it since the 70s <laughs> you know the oil companies did a lot of work to, to kind of uh to, to stop it from becoming uh, an issue and that you know lots of funding of climate skeptic um pieces and there was all sorts of things going on and i think it's only the last few years where we've finally turned the corner where people are not at least people aren't really denying that's happening anymore which is good but you know when you look at what we have to do as a global society and I have a slide that I show, I show our clients, you know, when we're doing our sustainability training. And it's just insane, you know, the kind of decarbonization that we have to achieve in a very, very short space of time. Um, and the action we have to take uh, on against nature decline, um, again, in a very short space of time, because we're losing species, we're losing insects, we're losing all kinds of like valuable ecosystems. It's it's insane how quickly we have to act. And we're also very aware that maybe previous um, environmental initiatives haven't been successful because they haven't involved everybody. So there's this whole kind of climate justice um, conversation, which a lot more people are becoming aware of and, and, and centering, rightfully so, because climate justice is all about acknowledging that climate change will not be felt equally by everyone everywhere. So we in the West often talk about climate change as a future threat that's going to, it's going to affect our grandchildren, you know, and that's how people have been thinking about it. But actually, you know, there's people right now around the world who are being affected by climate change, um, whether that's through hurricanes or droughts or floods or wildfires or um, anything like that, rising sea levels. And so there's people in, and mainly in the global South who are already being affected by it. Um, so, I think that so all of that said, you know, the uh, the, uh, the the urgency and, and how we have to bring in these people's voices and listen to them, it becomes a, a and and what I said before about making sure that everyone was involved in the decision making process. You know, these things take time. We can't just we can't just quickly make decisions that affect everyone if we want them to be embedded. So we have this challenge where we have this like need for rapid rapid action, but we also know that we need everyone involved which is going to take longer. Um, so, so there is that, that kind of tension of, of, of how hard it is 
to do what we need to do. And and I work with businesses who have set bold net zero goals or really ambitious yeah, carbon reduction goals or action on nature goals. And they're just kind of sitting there thinking, well, we don't actually know how to do this. Um, and and the answers aren't really there. You know, the technology is still coming. And also we all need to be doing it at the same time because it's really hard sometimes when you're a real leading business and you're talking to your supply chain, for example, and saying, we've got these really bold carbon targets. Can you give us the data so we can measure it? And they're kind of like, what are you talking about? Um, so, yeah, there's like we're at this slightly uncomfortable part where we know how much there is to be done, but sometimes it feels impossible. Um, and we're feeling changes happen incrementally, but they're not always happening. Yeah. As quickly as we need them to. Um, but I'm really hoping that in the next few years, we're going to see an acceleration of that. And we're seeing more solutions come online, you know, tech solutions like, like yours, Sebastian with footprint and, um, you know, other kind of startup companies we're having innovations come in with all kinds of new um offerings um like sustainable packaging innovations or sustainable um renewable technologies that kind of thing so i'm really hoping we see a ramping up well we are seeing a ramping up but i guess what i'm saying is that once you get into that implementation phase it does become hard and i see companies struggling with it but you just have to really make the changes that you can at the pace that you can but keep the pressure on um and i think what's really nice is that in this world of sustainability we're seeing a lot of collaboration there's a lot of businesses helping each other out working together sharing best practice between each other and you know how did you how did you engage your supply chain on climate change how did you um engage your team and get them involved and there's lots of sharing of knowledge that's happening there's lots of webinars and groups and forums that people can join um and it's great to be part of those um so one of the, one of which is the b corp community which i'm sure we're going to talk about yeah i mean it's so interesting what you point out i mean like that's really where you know uh, you know sometimes it can be disappointed right if you run a project and then it's not um running all the way um or basically you, you start initiatives they start in the implement with the implementation and then there's there can be some roadblock because along that way and the speed of course like something that is always critical especially if you have bigger companies that takes a long time to do the changes you need to bring it along a lot of people um i think some of the other things that you were already mentioning is the b corp right as one of the ways to communicate is can you talk maybe a little bit more about maybe the importance of b corp and um, also maybe what are maybe uh, other ways to communicate sort of your efforts strongly to the outside yeah definitely so yeah we see ourselves as a strategy and communications agency so we kind of bridge those two um those two practices. And I think B Corp is very much about both of those things. So B Corp is a certification. It's an ethical certification um, for business. It's basically recognizing businesses that are purpose-driven and showing that business can be a force for good. So we work in a capitalist society, like it or not now, right now, a lot of people think that's the, the root of all, of all evil. But um, If people are setting up businesses that are helping to address those social environmental issues we're seeing around us, um, it can actually be very powerful. So you might have a business that is set up to reduce food waste um, and and has a very clear mission around that or a company that's um, using a lot of its profits to donate to good causes and charities. 
Um, so you're using the, the, the business as a vehicle to, to do good in the world. So B Corp is all about that. And um, we at 12, we help businesses to become B Corp certified. Um, and we work with lots of B Corp companies. And actually one of one of our clients just certified very recently, which we're really pleased about. Um, they make pet food. Um, they're called Edgar and Cooper. They're great. Um, and if you're in Europe, you probably have heard of them. Um, and so, yeah, we're really um, excited to work with lots of purpose driven companies. And yeah, so it's a very challenging certification. Um, there are about 4000 B Corps around the world. Um, it's a, a, you have to go through a questionnaire, which is about 200 questions. Um, it asks you the most detailed questions about every aspect of your business across from environment to governance to workers and your community and your customers. So there's five sections. And so it's looking not just at, you know, are you measuring a carbon footprint? You know, how are you measuring um, environmental aspects in your supply chain? But also how are you treating your workers? Do you have good maternity policy? Do you have a code of conduct to stop bribery and corruption? Um, so uh, it's very comprehensive and it's definitely not for everyone because it's really hard, but um, it's a fantastic framework and, and more and more customers are recognizing the B Corp logo on pack. Um, so it's a little B in a circle. And lots of consumer brands from like Patagonia to Ben and Jerry's to the body shop to Pucker Tea um, are, are B Corp certified. And they're, they're, they're kind of flying that flag um, proudly. And I think it's a really fantastic thing for companies to do. And now I, so it's the kind of way that a customer can look and say, OK, I know this company has high levels of social and environmental um, practices. So, um, so that's one way. And then also we, we also help businesses with their impact reports. So that's another way that, um, some companies choose to communicate everything they're doing. Um, so if they're doing lots of sustainable initiatives, sometimes it's really nice to have one document every year that you produce that tells all those stories and, and, and reports on your carbon footprint and reports on, on how you're doing against your, your goals and your strategy. Um, and actually, if you're a B Corp, you do need to produce one of these impact reports every year. And so we do help some of our clients with those as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, um, I think you're touching on, I think there's a strong overlap with um, business ethics or company ethics uh, as well if, with what you mentioned. I mean, um, I think these topics go even bigger than just, you know, um, the climate as a ecological, like you already mentioned, and and ethics and i think uh of course there's a strong intersection there so and uh yeah and like the communication of being a sustainable brand i think a lot of companies struggle with that as well because it's like you know consumers are may also confuse like what is right and like what can i trust and what can i not trust so uh yeah thanks for sharing that jessica um really great i would love to continue talking to you i think you're sharing so many great insights here for the audience but i think we need to wrap it up uh, because of time but i would just like to thank you on behalf of the audience for taking the time and, and share your insights yeah it's my pleasure thanks so much for having me on sebastian it's been great chatting with you thank you for listening Don't hesitate to send us a message if you enjoyed the podcast. We would love to get in touch. You can also share it around you and follow us on social media. Stay tuned for our next podcast.